This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Dragon Mind, everybody. I again have a super cool guest with me today on the old pod. Uh, Joe, the DM for Advantage, one of the many actual play podcasts that you can find on the Darkmore Podcast Network, and one of the voices that you hear at the beginning of every episode to talk about uh, the Darkmore Podcast Community Discord. Uh, Joe, how are you doing tonight? I am fantastic, John. So, Joe, I'm guessing that anybody listening to this podcast would probably have a really good idea who you are, but assuming that they don't, uh, how how would you go about introducing yourself for someone that has no idea who you are or what you do? Yeah, um, I am Joe Love. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I am a teacher and an outdoor educator by trade. I'm a storyteller by hobby. Uh, it's the storytelling that brings me here. I'm also the dungeon master and producer of Advantage, a wonderful fifth edition actual play Dungeons and Dragons cast that focuses on storytelling and character development as we record this. Today is our sixth year anniversary of publishing this show, uh, and we just wrapped up our second major story arc. First of all, congratulations. Uh, I know in our, our little back and forth before, you know, coming on to record, that it's almost as long as Critical Role. Like, I think they did. Is it really? Uh, I don't watch Critical Role. I mean, I totally respect Matt Mercer uh, and his gang, but I, I don't watch it. Has it really been going on that long? Yeah, it's actually for them, it's seven years. I didn't realize we were that close. Wow. Yeah, and I also kind of join you in that whole group of respecting Critical Role, um, appreciating the positive influence that they've had over kind of D&D and its acceptance as a hobby in the greater mm-hmm. sphere and also don't watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, I mean it, it's it's great. It gets D&D out there. It gets role playing as uh, a storytelling genre there. Um I think it's really cool that the show has developed such a large following in a whole bunch of mediums now at this point because they got they got books, they got shows, TV shows, and uh, not to mention their Twitch streams and their stuff on YouTube and um, the the actual like licensed Wizards collaborations. Are like I, th- I think that's great for them. It's just, just not a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Actually, usually this would be the part where we jump into D&D talk, but a few things that you mentioned in your introduction have me just personally curious. So you mm-hmm. said that you're a teacher by trade and an outdoor educator. How did you come up upon that as a profession? I'm just curious because I'm also a kind of educator. So so growing up, my family was really into the scouting program. Um, scouting is pretty international, but in the United States, my, my, my family was a part of a scout troop that, uh, it, oh, it's a, it's a child's program for audios who aren't familiar. Children's program um, that is led by youths and is very outdoor focused. Um, I was a part of a troop that's the organizational structure that was very committed at the time to camping literally every month. So like 12 times a year, we would camp in all sorts of weather because it was just it would be scheduled for this weekend. And we're out there regardless of what it's doing that weekend, even if it's raining and storming, just as long as there's like not tornadoes, we're out in it. I've, I've, I've camped with snow on the ground, waking up 
in the morning and uh well we're not really sure how cold it was because one thermometer said five degrees and the other one said six degrees so who, who knows really fahrenheit there's a very big difference from five or six degrees uh celsius oh in in college uh i got into rock climbing and then in, in grad school i was given a job as uh a climbing instructor at uh there at the college the tcu texas christian university in fort worth at their rock wall at the rec center and i was also given a job as an outdoor educator so i got to lead college kids on climbing trips trips backpacking caving expeditions you know like a whole gambit of things and then when i moved back home to arkansas where my heart has always been forever and still remains from where i am now i got a job as a outdoor educator uh, at a montessori school so i spend my days out in the woods on campus building trails finding salamanders uh working in the greenhouse stuff like that that's amazing i'm so glad it I really asked. is amazing because it, it, it doesn't usually come up in D conversation like just the fact that you're an outdoor educator i think that's one of the the coolest parts about this hobby is really anyone's experience can also be reflected in the game so i can yeah. imagine that as an outdoor educator when it comes to like scenes of you know wilderness exploration and survival and all the stuff that i'm really terrible at because i'm just a pasty kid <laughs> that stays indoors <laughs> you know I i'm sure that you're able to have like specific details that really help your players immerse themselves in whatever scene you're constructing for them uh, I can think of a few in particular. There, the, uh, there's uh, a lot of like map and compass details that are brought. Story, um, getting getting a real map uh, was one of the first investments that Advantage as a, as a show made, and so it's constantly referenced, right? Uh, and we go so so far as to use bearings and like compass bearings and charting out paths uh, occasionally. We we've had knot work come up, specific knot work for like climbing used when uh the party was scaling a mine shaft before we we've had to find specific anchors when trying to drag a, a barge using a, a a winch system trying to use trigonometry and, and knots and anchoring systems to, to pull it up river up some rapids there's a lot of stuff like that and it's been a lot of fun to be able to to use the things that i'm passionate about um and direct ha have direct experience in to to bring it into the show yeah actually i don't know if you've ever read jesse shell's book the art of game design it's really kind of it. similar in its approach about just how all your different life skills give you a perspective of fun and that is what's going to inform interesting and engaging game design so he was coming yeah. at it more from like video games specifically, but also, you know, game design is game design. And he was talking about how, you know, one of the things he learned about pacing was through his juggling act that he he did uh, <laughs> yeah, as like a professional clown and just all these different things that, yes, game design is game design, but our own particular paths in life do give us a unique imprint on the experiences that we're able to share with others. So uh, to just move on to the next question, uh, what do you love about D&D? &D? I mean, it's it's hard not to give a really basic answer of I, I love Dungeons and Dragons for its collaborative potential. It's it's easy. They, they make it really easy to tell a story 
like 5e provides a great mechanical system to help tell an interesting narrative and its its structure provides uh this excellent framework that is useful for telling a large variety of stories within the fantasy genre uh it's also extremely accessible um like a lot of i, I enjoy a lot of role-playing genres fantasy is the most accessible because of D&D and Dungeons and Dragons is so ubiquitous that it's easy for anyone to enter see like even people that don't play role-playing games it's still a uh like it's a household name you know it's like Kleenex old ladies who have went through satanic panic at least know what you're talking about when you say you're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. They recognize the name, even though they don't might not realize what all goes into telling your Dungeons and Dragons stories. You know, like they they are at least familiar with the concept of Dungeons and Dragons. And because of that, like anybody can get on board with it as the center of all role playing system. What what what's the branding that Wizards actually uses like the world's most successful oh the world's ever. greatest role-playing game world's world's greatest it it really is you know like it's darned if it isn't the oldest and th- they do a really good job with it and sometimes i do like for the sake of the show sometimes i do feel particularly like tied to it to the fantasy genre and to dungeons and dragons there are a lot of games that i would play but don't have time or the like mental stamina to play because i've committed to playing advantage with 5e D and the setting that is drawn from dungeons and dragons as this pan fantastic role-playing system but it's still great i still love playing it uh i won't pass up an opportunity to uh keep playing it and i love the story that we've managed to tell through it yeah the accessibility like you mentioned really is why I stick with the system too. Um, I've dabbled in other systems. And the thing that kept bringing me back to 5th edition was the fact that it was a simple enough system where after a few play sessions, you kind of were confident, you know, you, you're rolling the d20 mainly and sometimes you, you pick up the other smaller dice. But right. when I was teaching kids the game in particular, it's the one that they were most easily like understood and it's also one that's not so simple that it also lacks depth like i find that it has that nice balance where it's not super complex to understand but the system does have little nuances and little tricks and you know spell selection especially yeah where you you there's a there's a lot of customizability and a lot of depth in terms of your options as a player without making it so hard to understand that, you know, my my grandma even plays fifth edition with me. Like, and that's, I think that's like the most, that that's the most shining testimony about how accessible the game is. You are not wrong. So easy your grandma can do it. Uh, when, I So the, the age that I teach uh, at school is elementary and during the summer, um, for summer program, I get to make literally any... I can do anything I want. I don't have a curriculum that I need to follow. So one of the weeks I dedicated to role-playing week. Uh, And we, we called it Dungeons and Dragons, but I made sure that they understood that this isn't actually D and D. We used a system called hero kids, um, which is basically big eye beats, big die beats little die, but they, they love it. And I am so excited for 
them to discover the world of role-playing systems. Uh, and the, the only reason I used Hero Kids is because it's I, I didn't have a, too much time to dedicate to like teaching and I wanted to have a really simple system so that we could just get on with telling the story rather than going in and really building a character together and really doing that. It, I, mostly I just had a huge selection of pre-built characters, like probably two dozen, so many. And they grabbed the ones that they were down for. But the, the next the next step would clearly, if I had the time to, to dedicate to it, like we would go through the PHP and work with each kid on building their own player character. And they would die for it, John. That would make them so happy. Yeah, there is something really special about TTRPGs at that younger age. I, I remember similarly it was an event and i had literally 20 minutes and these kids came <laughs> up to me knew that i i like was a dungeon master and, and they must have been like eight and they, they were like we want to try to play D D." and you know i'm not gonna bust out character sheets and tell them to start rolling stats or anything so mm -hmm. i just had a foam d20 and we just rolled the d20 to determine what the outcome of stuff would be. Didn't worry about mod yeah. modifiers. That's all you need. Don't worry about your mods. What it did was it let them play pretend with just enough rules so that just it made their imagination rules. matter. And I yeah. think that's it, the key thing is you, we've all played imagination with our friends when we were younger, but because the rules were too ephemeral, it didn't, it didn't have the same weight, but when it really doesn't, when, when two kids are are uh, are battling in their fa their fantasy imagination uh, with, without a a game structure, it, it so easily becomes, I hit you with my sword. No, you didn't. I have indomitable armor, and you can't hit me with your sword. Sorry, I hit you with my axe. No, you didn't. I also have double impenetrable armor, except mine's blue and on fire, so you're on fire now. Well, I'm made out of water, so meh. But like having having a structure that they can work within helps them get away from this pain of just absolute freeform role play. <laughs> like imagination is great, except two imaginations clashing together uh, doesn't always work out. And so entering into a TTRPG and the structures and system of it brings them both to the same space where they are both handshaking and agreeing that like, yeah, we're both going to play by these rules and that's okay. And we can still do a lot of great things. Exactly. And I also wonder now that we're talking about it and I'm kind of reflecting on this experience that I had like maybe six months ago, like how much of it too was the fact that there was uh, a perceived adult <laughs> I'll call myself a perceived adult in their imaginations, like validating their ideas and then organizing it and then and then letting them know that, you know, also, I think it's cool. So, you know, it's yeah. one thing for a kid to say to another kid, they think an idea is cool. It's another for an adult to honor and respect the creative contribution that like yeah. different kids have and then shape it into a story that they remember. Um, and yes, it, and a kid is so powerful because it, it so so frequently kids' imaginations are just like shut down and washed out, or like that's not appropriate for now. You can have these thoughts on your own. Yeah, I want you to write them down. I want you to take care of it. But part, but to participate in that generation together is an incredible thing. To participate in that 
mutual storytelling. And I also don't want to discount the the power of the word no when used responsibly. So right. to go to like your your example of kids imagination and no, your sword can't hurt my, me because I have impenetrable armor. Of course, when I was playing freeform D&D with this foam D20, there was one kid who that was how they wanted to play. I have, you know, like I'm basically a 20th level wizard, but also a 20th level fighter and a 20th level paladin. And they had all the powers. And I said, all right, well, you get to pick one of those. And they said, all right, well, I have invincibility (laughs) armor. And I said, yes, that can protect you from one attack. So it's a little bit of that. Yes, you can have that, but no, you can't have it on your terms because we have to respect what everyone's contributions are. And having that wonderful balance between freedom with boundaries, it it just, it is something that I think is very powerful at at a younger age. I I almost wonder how much I could be doing with the game if I was exposed to it younger. Because you mentioned the, the satanic panic. I mean, I remember being a kid and my mom hearing about Dungeons and Dragons and it wasn't the whole demon thing. The narrative that she had heard was that the peop- the, the players who were participating lost touch with reality. That basically when you played... They got Dean, too far in. Yeah, you, you couldn't distinguish between, you know, you as the player and your elf archer, you know, rogue. Right. <laughs> so... And it's so interesting how things work out because now my mom is one of my my longest time players. So um, that's hilarious to me. But speaking about DMing and sculpting an experience, Joe, what motivated you to become a DM in the first place? Well, can I start with my first experiences? Because uh, like it, it's gonna build up to DMing. Um, my, my first experience was freshman year of college, uh, like 10 years ago, I was visiting a friend's house and she had the 40 players handbook on the table and I started asking questions about it. Um, then she invited me to sit on, sit in on a session that she was planning to run that day. And I played their little kobold sidekick that they'd just gotten, uh, the, the session before named Grubs and Grubs was hilarious, but, but I was, I was there mostly as, as a non-participant, right? I was witnessing and providing humor more than telling the story. Uh, but the, the, you'll appreciate that uh, Grubbs's voice, Draconic, I think is kobold language, is which is very funny when you think about the larger consequence of what dragons must sound like speaking in Draconic in that world, if that's what kobolds sound. <laughs> I have my well, audio muted, but I, I like can't breathe. <laughs> <That's so awesome. laughs> Well, two of, the, two of those players uh, at that table with me were Steven and Zach, who are both an advantage. Later, I played another session with that DM uh, with a fully built player character, uh, and I basically recreated my Skyrim player character, who is this brooding elf uh, ranger rogue, who is very funny because you you were the one that mentioned that you can't discern reality. That You, you pulled the elf ranger rogue, and th- this, this brooding elf ranger can't remember uh can't remember his name because he never gave a name because of course that's this type of menacing and an edgy character that i wanted to do and i didn't really like playing that much it was just really complicated so then sophomore year i decided i wanted to dm and it felt more fun to do that and as i understood that as i understood it then i was 
building the story rather than telling the story. But I didn't have a direction. I didn't have any experience, uh, no real understanding of the game, no story that I wanted to tell. I just wanted to do the dang thing. And I told everyone about it. I had a huge group of friends that were always at my apartment that year. And every single one of them, John, wanted in. And I didn't know how to say no. And so I started that game with no experience and no understanding and no direction with 10 players. It was a mess and it was embarrassing. And I knew that I could do better than that. Well, that summer, uh, I had a job that allowed me free time to write like a lot. So I basically got paid to sit at a call center while also writing and storyboarding this grand epic adventure. And I mean epic in the like literary sense, not the 2011 slang sense. It was this long tale following heroes who work alongside and against deific forces to create their better world. Uh, that's, uh, that summer, I also invited friends, like re reached out, inviting them to play. Uh, I invited four total, including Steven, Yessie, and Zach on the Advantage cast, and Blake, who wrote the overture for Advantage. That was my junior year of college, and then we, uh, when finally school started back, uh, we dedicated every Monday night for a whole year to it, and we crossed into every plane. We collected the pieces of the rod, the shattered rod of seven parts, and we held off Orcus, the demon prince of the un undead, and his invasion uh, of the Raven Queen's realm of Lotharna in the shadow fell it was fantastic it, it was absolutely the dungeon mastering redemption that i needed to prove to myself that i could do it and do it dang well then the next year my senior year same time every week but this time yesi was a dungeon master and we also added sarah also from the cast to uh our party and it was again another successful adventure so by the time i graduated college I had a range of experiences. I had played poorly. I had DM'd poorly. I had DM'd well, and I had played well. And most importantly, I figured out what the key to success was for us. And it was us. We were doing things well together. We played well together as friends and as teammates. We had the same ideas of what we wanted from the game, how it should be structured, the level of commitment that we were willing to uh, to spend an evening every week doing this together, we trusted each other, and it, it was fantastic. It was a it was a great teamwork, and I fell in love with the craft of dungeon mastering. I'm letting the feels kind of soak in a little bit because <laughs> that's that's such a powerful story. I strive to defend Nui Zatalos and live up to my role as a spiritual leader. I journey to increase my knowledge of the cusp and cosmos. It has been prophesied that there is destiny in my blood. I fight for the honor of the name Steadyhand and the great kingdom of Firdearth. I wanted to find my true place in the world. I will protect my home and family at all costs. A young ruler's grasp for power threatens an already fractured world. Meet the heroes in Arc 2 of Advantage, a 5th edition D&D audio drama. Find us on all podcast apps. Was there a time in the middle of like maybe that second game or was it was it after, you know, you had completed your first campaign that was successful and then Yessie's campaign that you were kind of reflecting and realizing like how powerful your team dynamic was? I think it was after Yessie's campaign 
uh, and not that we we were participating in it, but we weren't really aware of it, you know, because we we were just doing the thing that felt really good to do, right? We weren't really reflecting on what made it such a success, and it wasn't until we had finished our our second campaign together, our like long form year long campaign. And when we we're all graduating and all going off to different parts of the world, and that's where we decided that, oh, hey, we want to keep playing together because we're a good team and asking ourselves, are we ready to commit or can we commit to keeping this up? All right. I think we know where this is going. You've laid a, a an excellent origin story of how all of the puzzle pieces are fitting together. So I'm a storyteller, John. <laughs> How did all of you make the decision of going from, you know, you you play this well together, you've got a really strong dynamic, so you want to start an audio drama that gets released publicly for the world to hear? What? How does that, that, because there, there's one thing to like play D&D online through maybe a VTT like Roll20 or through Zoom, because mm. you mentioned... You you're all going to different parts of the world. Where does that jump happen from? We want to keep playing together to we want to create something that's entertaining enough for other people to listen in. So first, during during this time of uh, like playing well, uh, both as a dungeon master and as a player character, I was also listening to a lot of actual play podcasts because that I was doing my my study right I was I was hearing what other successful adventures sounded like so that I could take the lessons that I was learning there and help embody them in my own craft and this isn't like the I, I'm going to call it the first wave of podcasting or of of actual play podcasting like like now that's a, a dime a dozen right and I'm not going to name shows well I'm going to name one show and I'm going to use the Adventure Zone with the the McElroy brothers and their dad as the perfect example of this. Where And, and while Griffin did Dungeon Master, a, a pretty serious game, by and large, it's a comedy show, right? It, it's people laughing and having a, a good time. They're doing the slap-happy, almost Monty Python style of, of gaming. And when I was scrolling through my podcasts, that's the bulk type of show. And the uh, maybe using the adventure zone wasn't a great example because they do have their very serious moments, but at its root, it is a comedy show, uh, despite touching on very uh, heart wrenching topics and doing a good job. And I I knew that if we were going to start a show, that it would have to it would have to figure out a way to differentiate itself from all the other shows that were out there at the time and we wanted to take a more serious tone we wanted to like resolutely keep it at lord of the rings level drama rather than monty python level drama and i i knew that with this cast they would be able to commit to that as well and they were willing to do that so we wanted to stay together <laughs> we wanted to stay together and by having this external force this uh accountability to to keep us in check and keep bringing us together that we would keep playing because we have somebody else to be a, accountable to we have somebody else uh, a whole audience of of folks who look forward to our episodes in their feed every other week 
And so even though that meant a lot more work on the production end, it does require, it asks of us, it doesn't require of us, but it asks of us to keep giving and to keep playing and to keep coming to the table together. And that's, it, it's never felt like work, really. The most it ever feels like work is, is trying to find the uh, the time to do it. Because it's not like we had in college where we knew when and where each game was going to take place. We're, we're more spread out. We have less consistent schedules. But other than scheduling the show, it's not work at all. It's just dang fun. It's not exactly the same because it's a completely different medium. But I found a similar um, kind of thing with the latest campaign that I'm running right now, where at the end of each session... Gray Owls? Uh, Gearus. Uh, yes, Gray, okay, Owls was, uh, Gray Owls was Adam. Was Adam. Yeah, Gearus is uh, is the is the game I'm running, which is is kind of like Eberron, but we do everything super different because we have it as a as a live play by post where everything right. is written down, and then we edit it into short stories and books afterward. But it was more effort, and I guess more work, but because it felt like it mattered more it helps all of my players at least lean into the more dramatic side of the table whereas a lot of times I found that the same players in kind of like a live we sit down around the dinner table kind of game couldn't help but shift into that more comedic style that you were mentioning before right but suddenly when you're allowed to vent kind of the comedic part through just chatting but then you know that like the serious part is what you're going to write down. And you you also sure. have the ability to edit it and kind of move pieces around so that each scene has like the most dramatic impact. All of a sudden, you almost have permission to feel proud of the creative work that you're putting in. And what's really cool about Advantage is I know you guys edit your podcast. So yeah. yes, you, you play together, but you have that ability correct me if I'm wrong to, you know, move things around, make things flow a little more naturally. Oh, absolutely. I've got friends that, uh, and, and uh, audience members who, who ask like, when, Joe, when are you going to stream this? It would not be good streamed. I, I, I definitely want you to tune in live for the, for the show, but it's not, this ain't a Twitch show y'all. <laughs> like it, what, what advantage does really well is taking the meat and potatoes of the story and front loading that cutting it to where it really really flows well like it's it's pretty quick paced like there's way i cut out all the ums and the uhs and the silent bits and i make it to where it's just action 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 there's there's better better pacing than that and uh like storyboarding than that but you understand what i mean and i i take out all the uh the the goofs and riffs and stuff and i keep them because i do think that's an it's an important part of the show and it really portrays to the audience the dynamic that the the cast have at the table and i keep them i just put them out of the show you know I, we, we've got uh, like a 10 minute long blooper reel because these are some funny bits and i think that the audience would appreciate hearing these goofs but we keep the show focused on the drama we keep the show focused on the narrative that we're telling and this uh where the story is headed and what is happening in the action of the world and then as a bonus here's all our fun bits and goofs 
Yeah, well, they even talk about it in Curse of Strahd, where, yes, it's a gothic horror campaign, and you do need those, like, lights of levity in order to let your players relax a little bit. And that is a really interesting way to put it, that you're front-loading the drama and also reminding <laughs> reminding the audience members the the joy of the fact that there are real humans playing behind these characters and that yeah. it, it makes it makes you as a cast so much more relatable that way. Now, I think that this little interview is timed, dare I say, serendipitously, because like you mentioned earlier, uh, you're wrapping up arc two of Advantage. Um, arc three <laughs> is going to be coming out soon. So what are you currently working on to level up your game for arc three? Oh, boy. Okay, so one of the biggest... There, there are a few major themes. Arc two is four years long, John. Four years. And it's been a long four years. It, there, there's been a number of, of themes that were really at the heart of um, the second arc. Uh, home, discontent community uh action but one of the biggest ones is autonomy like player autonomy and character not player autonomy but player character autonomy uh in this world and um uh without giving things away they bit off a little bit more than they could chew with some of the plot and ended up playing with powers that are way bigger than what they were ready for now playing with those powers got them some pretty serious tools that they could use that will help them along in their quests but it's at the cost of a little bit too much drama that that, that the player characters are not exactly comfortable with they they express continually the the pcs this this sense of this is a, a metagame term the the sense of being feeling railroaded by the plot and not by the plot but by these powers that they signed up to be a part of the the, uh, okay i can't i can't i can't keep bearing the lead they're they're with gods now right okay they 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 unlocked the power they traveled to the astral realm they're working with Corallon and morden to help do some stuff and these gods by by entering into uh this this scope of the plot this this level of the plot the they no longer have control they feel of their own part of the story like they feel like pushed along continually like you're you're set on this quest you're sent on this quest you're sent on this quest and there's no time to rest there's no time to think about their own they're only like working as these like fleshy automatons and it was really it was really difficult in uh especially the latter half of uh this the second arc to balance that um that story with playability because at no time could i sacrifice the player's autonomy but i needed to for the story sacrifice some of the characters autonomy does that make sense like because the the story the story required it was asking the players to give up their character's ability to decide things for their own, but each gameplay session still needed to feel like their impact was mattering, as uh, like they are participating well and fully in the events of the show, but still at once holding this discomfort with how they are being stretched. I completely understand what you're talking about, 
and I give you all the credit in the world for sticking with that plot and seeing it through. <laughs> um, I, I don't know uh, if if you've heard uh, the many religion episodes <laughs> we've done of Dragon Mind at this point. Oh, I um, have. It's my favorite. One of the things I found as I was running various campaigns is once my players were getting to the higher levels, like level 16, 17, 18. As a storyteller, I kept using the cosmology as a storytelling crutch to yeah. up the scales so that it the, the threats would level with the players. Right. And every single campaign I ran always ended with Thara's Dune getting out and the other gods, for whatever reason, not being able to stop him and asking the player characters, can you stop him? And yeah. what are the player characters going to do? Say no, then the game's no. over and Thara's Dune wins. So what I what I noticed was the fact that, yes, the scales were the, the scale of the conflicts were getting grander, but the meaningfulness was actually diminishing. And that's mm -hmm. not to say the the story, the drama of advantage is diminishing at all. I, I'm sure. I don't believe that at all. It was more something I noticed for my games. So what I did was I just decided I'm not going to deal with gods <laughs> anymore. Um, I At most, what the players will encounter are in fifth edition terms, otherworldly patrons where right. they're, you know, CR maybe 18, 19 creatures that can definitively be killed. And when one yeah. of them is removed from the cosmological chessboard, another one may step into that profile or role. But what I found is that my player's, feel more comfortable outwitting the lesser deities of the world. They, they feel like <laughs> even though, yes, Queen Mab of the Winter Court, because I stole that from Dresden, may be able to overpower me in a direct confrontation. There may be ways I can play the politics of the Fey Realm in order to keep on leaving my own mark. So I definitely understand what you're talking about in terms of the characters almost feeling railroaded because they're they're dealing with something that they're above their pay grade <laughs> by like a lot. Um, and so I'm really curious what insights you've had in helping the players maintain the meaningfulness of their decisions while, again, like you mentioned, for the sake of maybe the story or the plot, the characters, from the characters' perspectives may have lost some of their autonomy um i don't know if there's a way that i can continue to avoid giving spoilers um so my apologies to not yet advantage listeners but you'll enjoy the show and you'll enjoy hearing it uh, as it plays out even if you know the direction that it's headed so the players or the characters uh the pcs are out in space. They're doing the astral sea. They're doing some stuff. They end up bringing back with them this arcane battery, right? And this arcane battery has the ability to siphon a magical object and use its arcana to do something, to put it somewhere else. To to, to they don't really know. They haven't quite figured that out yet. But they get this arcane battery, and they've agreed with Coralon that they're going to use it to. <laughs> to end what we humorously call uh in uh in the show the great scuffle which um is the war that's going on it's just a, a silly nonchalant name <laughs> so they're trying to end the great scuffle and it's it's their job to figure out how they're going to do that it's it's not it wasn't their idea to use 
this this tool to end the great scuffle but it's it's their prerogative on how they're going to use a tool and i i just finished editing like and and publishing 10 minutes before we hopped on the call the arc 2 reflection episode and there were there were thoughts of like what are what were we going to do with this? We we had to take it. Of course, when when Coralon says, "Will you help me in the Great Scuffle?" Of course, we're going to help in the Great Scuffle. But then, with the response of, "Will you help in the Great Scuffle by making sure that this tool gets to the the material realm?" Of course, because they wanted to be the ones in charge of the battery. They wanted to have the one. They wanted to be the ones that are in charge of the fate rather than leaving it up to some NPC to be done off screen. Like if there's going to be a weapon being held, the players are going to make sure that they're the ones holding the weapon. So they end up going to uh, a, a huge relic. The It's the spear that um, that ends up blinding uh, Groomsh that, that uh, Corlon took from Groomsh and then stabbed in his eye. So now he's Groomsh one eye, right? Um, I don't know how well versed you are in your, uh, uh, on that particular typically Faerunian, but also Don War cosmology. But so they, they siphon the magic from that in an extremely great heist. Uh, they pump it uh, into the battery and then use that battery to, I'm not, I can't get that far. That That's, that's where I'm drawing the line on spoilers, but it was their decisions on how these powers were going to be used, not if these powers were going to be used. And I think that's that might be the real crux of the uh, the answer for you. Yeah, it's kind of validating because I've long held this theory that the idea of railroading gets a bad rap. And I think when most community members hear the term railroading what they're thinking is i don't get to choose if the adventure is linear and often what i point out if you look at game design is skyrim is a good example of yes it's an open world game with linear quest design you get the quest sometimes Mm -hmm. there's an a b choice but most of the time there isn't and you just follow the list of steps until you get to the end so Yes, you get to choose what order you get the quest, and sometimes there are random factors that determine when you get them. But still, even though it's a quote-unquote open-world game, the the storytelling is linear. Because how can it not be? So right when when it comes to like railroading, the the metaphor I've been using is like a train. Where yes, the train is on one track going in a direction. But you get to choose what's happening in each train car as you're moving from the caboose up to the front. So I I like to I like to uh, imagine as the players are driving the train and I'm putting the track in front of it. Like they they early on an advantage. Um, there's a like arc one, episode five. Like the players are given this open world and said these are the conflicts that you've experienced. What are you going to do now? And then they choose their direction. We and then we have we have a planning episode every once in a while where the the they're just trying to line up like all right what are our next steps and that's a great tool for me as a dungeon master because I hear them planning out what they want and then it's my job to just get them there you know I I provide the 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 railroad track to the destination that they already want my other fun that I I, I love that image by the way because that actually that. 
that kind of creates a nuance for it. That is true. It's very true to how I, I see myself DMing as well. The other fun thing for me is figuring out ways to design quests and storylines that subtly check off the boxes of different characters that want different things. But by going on the one quest, it like still moves their personal objectives forward, even if they don't like come to completion. So if one player wants to uh, investigate the mayor of a town and another player is looking for a book and another player, I don't know, wants to go to the alchemy shop. This town mm-hmm. can have all of those things. It can have a library. It can have a mayor's office. Maybe the mayor is the one that checked out the book that the mage is looking for. <laughs> so right. uh, finding all these little ways to help satisfy everybody's curiosity. But yeah. what's fun for them is the fact that they get to discover it. So they yeah. have a plan, but they're not quite sure how it's going to work out. You know, uh, to come back to Jesse Shell, a big part of fun is an element of surprise. And mm-hmm. that's what part of what D&D has to offer is the surprise of not knowing how the D20 is going to going to come up, <laughs> you know, if it's going to be a lower or higher result. So I know that you mentioned your first time DMing was not the best experience. If it you sucked, had... John. It sucked. <laughs> I always have to try to sugarcoat everything. It's my, it's my. Crush. It was just bad. I am not proud of it. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, I mean, I, I had it. I, I was so bad that my first time, I, I had like basically dialogue pre-written out, like like an RPG video game for the players to read. It was like, oh my god, for the yeah, players it was pretty to bad. Read? Wow. <laughs> bold move yeah no it was it was not a good good idea but um <laughs> if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a new dm what would you say select and play with the table you want to play with there would be no way that i could play this game with any other cast you know these these players sarah yesi zach and steven have been with me for 10 years we know each other, we trust each other, they understand the style that I dungeon master, and I understand the styles that they play in, and that's really the key to it. So past Joe, when 10 of your friends gather around and say, all want to say, I want to play Dungeons & Dragons, I'm not entirely sure what the response that you, like tactfully, what your response should have been, but past Joe, I hope that you would have ended up with a much more limited game. So that way you could very quickly and early on discover that the key of playing a good tabletop game is trusting your players and having that dynamic. It's beautiful and very well said. All right, Joe. Well, this has been awesome. I've learned a lot um, just from speaking with you. So as you heard in the ad spot in the middle of this episode, uh, you can listen to Advantage on all podcasting apps. Uh, Look forward to arc three of Advantage coming out soon. Joe, are there any other projects you want to plug or anything else you want to mention? How can people find you if they're interested in picking your brain about D&D? 
Um, you can go onto the Advantage. Nope, the Darkmore Podcast Network Discord, where I am basically almost all moments of every day, some sort of active. You can find Advantage the show uh, at Advantage DND uh, on pretty much every social media, uh, from Tumblr and Pinterest to the more conventional stuff like Twitter and Facebook and whatever. You can reach out to us there, email us, advantagednd at gmail.com. We're really great with our branding. You could even go online to advantagednd.com and discover a whole new uh, new role-playing world. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Dragon Mind is brought to you by Incendium D&D, which you can follow on social media with the links in the description below. Our theme song, J-Pop, is brought to you by Fezlian Studios, and you can check out more of their awesome work at fezlianstudios.com. This podcast is also a proud member of the Darkmoor Podcast Network. To discover more excellent TTRPG content like this, head to darkmoorpodcasts.com. Have an awesome day and an awesome time at the table. Bye-bye now. Sugar, spice, and everything dice. These were the ingredients selected to create the most badass ladies in all of Arcandrum, each treated to a vision of the possible destruction that could befall the world if they did not stop it. Thus, the dream team was born. Crit Like a Girl is a cinematic podcast featuring the adventures of four strong women and an adorable little owl. Join us every other Monday and come see how we, Crit Like a Girl, 